What is up, guys? Alex here. Welcome back to the End Creates Podcast. Today, I'm once again joined by Malcolm Cottle. Welcome back to the podcast again, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. I uh, stood on my pedestal on the last episode, and now I'm back to uh, try to redeem myself a little bit. <laughs> or to get back up on the pedestal. Who knows? I thought this would be a great episode to have you on, and it's a great follow-up to, frankly, the last episode that you were on. What you said in that episode was really important, and, and I thought was a, a great statement. And that was that all drummers should learn how to program drums. And we talk extensively yes. about why that is in the last episode that you were on. Um, so if you haven't listened to that one you can go check that that one out anacreates.ca slash podcast go find that episode um and great episode and a great uh reason to really get into programming drums as a drummer which might seem ironic uh but is very important not at all in fact and not 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 at all so go check out the episode to learn more about that <laughs> um but in this one i wanted to go uh, a little bit further on that and talk about how to program drums and how to add life into your program drums and i know that you program a lot of drums as a fair a, a really proficient drummer on a real kit you also are very good at programming drums and do a lot of drum programming uh, on tons of different stuff. So, oh, thank you. I thought, of course. So, I thought it would, uh, you know, be really good to just talk about that because I think a lot of people tend to think program drums sound like crap, and we discuss why they don't. But if you do them wrong, they can. <laughs> so the question oh, then yeah. becomes, how do you do them right? So, um, what what kind of? Let's just start with. Where would you start uh, when getting into programming drums? What's kind of the first thing to actually program drums correctly, I guess? Where do you start? Yeah, I mean, it, to start, it, it's like any instrument, though, right? I mean, like any instrument can be replicated in a digital format. And it's all about kind of taking all of that extra time to do it right to make it sound more real. Um, I often make the same comparison to um, virtual orchestral instruments, mm -hmm. you know, using like string instruments or anything like that, or even synthesizers. Like you, you can make a synth sound super cheesy if you don't put in the time. You can make it sound like, you know, like an 80s cop show really fast mm -hmm. but if you take some time and kind of figure out what it's all about how it works the idiosyncrasies of how synth can play a bigger role in your production then like it can sound really really cool and really badass and the same with string instruments too i mean the logic string instruments sound okay but if you put a lot of effort into it and kind of figure out how it can blend into the mix really well you can really make them pop and i think the same is about program drums too it's as much about knowing how to program them to make them sound real like a drummer as much as it is knowing how to blend them into a mix too mm -hmm. and where they're going to end up because i think that's one thing that we always forget about when we kind of like look at anything in production on this kind of like micro scale it's like you got to back up and look at the macro uh mm -hmm. view of like okay but how does this fit into the mix and that's something i worry about too because sometimes i get like over invested in the little tiny like every single hit i have to velocity control every single one and then sometimes i have to back up and say like you're not going to hear the difference between right. all of these, like once you get to the mix or like the ghost notes are so like perfect. I've made them all perfect. Exactly. Like a drummer would play them. I pop it into the rest of the mix and they're just gone because they're, they're yeah. too quiet. Yeah. They're too precise. So there's a balancing act, I should say. When programming drums, it's about taking the time to really do it right, but then also remembering, like, what is the point? Mm -hmm. The point is so that it can fit into a mix. So never forget that. Um, okay, now let's get into all the micro details about programming <laughs> drums. <laughs> I, you know what? I want to add one more thing on that, and that is that especially today in today's day and age, 
a lot of the instruments that you're going to use for programming strings, for programming drums, for anything. Many, many, many of those are better and better and better than they were even two, mm-hmm. five, ten, especially ten years ago. But even within the last five years, string instrument libraries have become so much better. Same with drums. The the things that are available now and the the quality you can get and that you can uh, actually coax out of the <laughs> out of the libraries basically <laughs> if you spend the time to learn what they offer and how to use that. Um, like you said, if you spend the time, um, you can get something out of it. Now, some are easier to get good sounding stuff out of than others, uh, because the features are, are built into it a little bit easier to deal with. Uh, whereas other ones are not, it's kind of like the logic strings are okay. You can do a lot. You can put a lot of work in and make them sound better, but you could also use the, you know, $800, uh, pack from you know East West Studios, and mm-hmm. it's going to sound really quite good out of the gate without a lot of work. <laughs> you know, you yeah, can go even sure. more in depth with that one though, uh, which is the difference. You know, so mm-hmm. I just I guess just wanted to preface this whole thing with, uh, and I guess maybe uh, tip one is get the right tool for the job. Get the right library that uh, for the thing you're wanting to go for. Don't get a jazz kit of a, mm-hmm. of a library. If you're programming metal, you're then, yeah, it's going to sound like crap or don't get a metal kit. If you're programming indie pop, it's going to sound <laughs> like crap. It's going to sound like overly programmed drums. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, cause they're not going to fit in the mix because they're exactly. not meant to, like they're going to stick out. Like there's going to be way too much attack on those metal drums Yeah, and indie pop needs a lot more kind of thump and roundness to it. Yeah. Exactly. That's a great point. And I guess with that too, what I've really learned too is really get to know whatever is easiest to program for you. Mm-hmm. Because the nice thing about MIDI is it's really easy to just convert it over to something else later. So a great example of that is one of my favorite kits to program with is uh, Mjolnir by Solemn Tones. I don't know why, but just the mapping just makes perfect sense to me. Right. Like it, all the stuff is just where I would sort of naturally expect it to be. And it's not overly precise in terms of all of the different uh, articulations and stuff like that. So I really like to use that as my starting point because I'm really quick at it and I can just dive right in because I just know. Mm -hmm. I don't have to spend a lot of time tweaking settings or going through and it's only one kit too. So like it just gives you one kit. So there's not a lot to like debate over in terms of sounds and everything like that. I can just kind of dive in and do it. And the nice thing is that I probably won't use that kit for my final mix, but I can just reroute all of that MIDI into like a drum forge or a slate kit later Mm -hmm. and get all of that extra kind of articulation. But when I'm just diving right in and I just want to just quickly write something, I love Mjolnir. Right. Um, I find it works really well. So that's another great piece of advice too for programming anything, whether it's drums or anything is find the one that just works for your brain. (laughs) Like the one that just naturally you just, you kind of know where the articulations are and it's simple so that you're spending more time writing and less time like engineering in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, There's always that balance between uh, the engineering and the composition. And for me, sometimes those are completely different tools. Um, Although I do really like something like Drumforge because it gives me all of that extra articulation. It gives me a much more dynamic range of velocities too and what Mm. I can do with all of that kind of stuff. Totally. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, like first things first, uh, when programming jumps, I think we talked about this a little bit, but one of the easiest ways to get really authentic uh, program drums is to play them in on a MIDI kit. Uh, Get an e-kit like a Roland or the Alexis or uh, Alexis or Alexis? Alexis. 
I yeah, think. that's the one. <laughs> They're quite good. Yeah. Pearl make, I mean, uh, tons of tons brands of, make them. Yeah. Yamaha makes them. Uh, Pearl has a really big one now. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite has always been Roland. I think they've always kind of just been on the front end of electric uh, e-kits. Right. So I've really enjoyed them. So I just have like a a fairly basic one uh, that just has a single MIDI out. And I just put that right in a computer. I pull up a kit. And I just like to play in the part, basically. Mm. Um, like a real drummer. It's not perfect, but it will get you pretty close in terms terms of like the symbol articulations and the way you kind of move around the kit. Yeah. Um, I really like playing it in too, because I just tend to play the most natural thing right. too. And you'll never have that instance where you're like, I don't know, you, <laughs> you play, you like program a fill sometimes. You're just like, Oh, like my body can't like jump from one end of the kit to the other that fast. Right. Like I just can't physically do that. So it kind of avoids things like that, that you can't really do anything you can't play in. Right. Um, but if you don't have that, starting with basic uh, programming, you know, the, the the couple of quick tips are, you know, avoid 127 velocity on everything. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the biggest dead giveaway is that like everything is completely jacked up. Like, don't worry about that. That stuff gets solved usually in mixing. Yep. Focus on velocities that make the most sense for what you're playing. And that give you that kind of wide dynamics, uh, that wide that wide range of dynamics, because you don't need the snare and the kick on one twenty seven the whole time. Right. The, the engineer or the mix engineer, he'll take care of that later. Um, focus on good dynamics as a drummer can actually play. And generally speaking, it won't sound that good too. Most drum kits, their one twenty seven is like a drummer who like ran back two meters and then ran at the <laughs> snare, jumped and hit it yeah. so that they could have a one twenty seven you know, velocity. <laughs> And so like, it's almost choking the drum a little bit because they're trying to get the biggest, baddest hit out of it. Um, Which is great in some instances, but to have that as your snare roll is not a good idea (laughs) because no no drummer is going to play that. (laughs) Like it just physically cannot do that. (laughs) Yeah. Some will try. Some (laughs) will try. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So I always start like with that is like, I really try to make sure like almost nothing is at 127 unless it's absolutely crucial to be that heavy. I usually, I try to avoid anything above like 120, honestly, like 120 velocity is usually my cap to give myself sort of a top end range. And then everything has to be below that. And then if I need to go back and like bump a couple hits up, then I have the space to do it. It's kind of like giving yourself headroom with mixing. You know what I mean? Like give yourself some velocity headroom literally so that if you need like a snare crack to be like the loudest thing in the mix, you actually have that headroom to give it to it. Totally. One thing I want to add in on this actually Mm -hmm. is for people who are new to drum programs, because I know there are people who kind of just use them and don't really realize how they work. But in essence, uh, the reason why this velocity thing plays a big role is what happens when people make a drum uh, library or a drum uh, instrument is they actually record multiple hits at a bunch of different velocity layers. So, uh, you know, when you play a, a, a drum, it's going to sound different if you just barely touch it versus if you beat the living shit out of it, basically. So... <laughs> It's going to sound very different. Just physics is going to make it sound different. Now, if you take a really big hit and you pull the volume down, it's still going to sound like that really big hit. 
Um, so mm-hmm. what they actually do when they record this is they record different velocity kind of brackets, so to speak. It, it's impossible as a drummer uh, when you're making a sample library to play 127 very <laughs> precise different velocities. However, you can, can kind you of imagine trying to do that. Oh my god! <laughs> like, it would be or try to communicate to a drummer. It's like okay, a little now bit louder. You need to do. <laughs> One louder than that. One louder than that. One louder than that. (laughs) Yeah. But your range isn't zero to 100. Your range is one to 127. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That would be... That, oh, that would be an adventure. So you can't you can't actually do that, basically. Um, so what they do is they kind of do it in velocity brackets. So they kind of go, okay, velocity uh, zero to twenty is going to be one mm-hmm. kind of set of a low. Uh, then they're going to have say those are your ghost notes, a, like you're just kind of tapping, tapping the it. drum exactly. ever so slightly. It's barely a hit. Um, and then they kind of, you know, do 20 to 45 and then they kind of break it up. So there's maybe five to seven velocity levels, basically the the most I've kind of seen generally is about seven, um, where they're able to differentiate (laughs) about seven different ones, um, and how they break it up. That's the, that's the instrument itself. But so basically they, they do these buckets and then they do multiple in each bucket, which is also why you need to be able to replicate the precise velocity that you're going for, which you can't do yeah. for 127 of them. Um, sure. So that you don't also have multiple hits following up each other that are literally the same sample. Because if you take the same sample and duplicate it, it sounds really fake. But if it's a different hit, although it's the same velocity and the same drum kit and the same miking and everything, it's slightly different just by the physics of it. It's like a guitar when you double it. You play the exact same thing through the exact same amp with the exact same guitar and you edit it so it's perfectly on the grid with the other one, but it's Mm -hmm. still physically, it just physics and the air movement is just different enough that it's different. And that that's the same way with uh, the different samples even in the same velocity bracket within these drum programs. So, yeah. so the, 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 the going back to the don't make everything 127, because that's the <laughs> biggest hit a drummer can possibly do on the drum, basically. So you have to keep it lower than that. So it's more like a natural drum, like you'd hit it as a mm-hmm. drummer, whether you're a drummer or not, you know, they're not, you know, just beating, <laughs> beating their, their snare to oblivion on every single hit. Some look <laughs> like they are. And some are, but not most of them are not. They're they're hitting it, but there's a little bit of a range in there as to how sure. hard they're hitting it. Does does that seem like a good uh, summary? And, and you have anything to add to yeah. that? <laughs> that's that's as precise as I can think of. Another thing that I realized one time in terms of like velocities is also that like the difference between a 100 hit and a 102 hit Mm. isn't going to be dramatic. It's not in like, and it's good to know this kind of stuff because you got to know too that like, you're not going to hear a significant difference in almost any drum sampler that you're using between one and 102. It's triggering the same set of samples. Um, So don't get too hung up on that. Like if anything, like if you want to hear a difference really between like samples, jumps of like five at a time usually Mm. will kind of depending on the quality of the sampled kit and everything like that will make a difference but if you even think of just music like music notation there's only four dynamic ranges really that are used even in music notation there's piano Mm. mezzo forte forte and fortissimo and so it's the same kind of thing like yeah there's a lot in between that but even like 
professional music only uses four dynamic kind of ranges that they use to indicate like how hard or how loud you're supposed to be playing right now. So right. keep that in mind is uh, I guess everything's relative is, is really where this comes down to, yeah. uh, which is always feels like a cop out answer, but yeah, it is. It, everything's relative. It's relative to how well the, the, the kit was sampled, how well the kit was, those samples were then programmed into the kit, like on the actual like digital programming mm-hmm. and then how much attention you take to the um to the actual programming of the drum uh notation too mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah so like you, you definitely want to spend some time on it and you want to make sure each hit is a little bit different and stuff like that and you just kind of got to experiment you'll learn quickly like mjolnir you'll notice like it takes like 10 velocity difference to really hear a difference in the hits right you can tell that then it starts pulling from a different like section of round robin hits yeah yeah um whereas like drum forge you can definitely tell they've kind of filled in the gaps digitally um and there is a lot smaller of a range where you'll hear a difference between the different hits yeah. too so some of that's experimentation um kind of zooming back or zooming back in a little bit yeah I would say that, like, in terms of programming drums, where you want to spend the most time is snare and hi-hat. I think, like, I I thought about this kind of all day in preparation for this podcast, and I was like, oh, like, what kind of advice could we give, this, this, and that? And honestly, like, to make a drum kit sound real, if you spend a lot of time making sure your snare drum sounds real and your hi-hats sound real, everything else will fall into place. But to me, those are the two that always sound out. If anything sounds out or that's the, those are the two where I can like, I can hear the slight snare clipping as the, as the, the samples are kind of piling on top of each other or going too quickly. Mm-hmm. And the hi-hat always sounds super fake to me if I, and that's usually the call out for me. I was like, Oh, those drums are programmed and they weren't programmed very well mm-hmm. um, because the hi-hat will sound really fake or just kind of tinny or and repetitive. And I think the reason is, is because the hi-hat and the snare have so much articulation that you can do with them. Yeah. Generally speaking in rock and metal, like the toms, you won't get a ton of articulation because they just want like a big heavy like phil collins fill like yeah um with symbols you'll maybe hear it just kind of if you ride a crash symbol and you're not programming it very well sometimes you'll hear a difference but for me it's always the snare and the hi-hat the snare because the snare is such a dynamic drum you can do so much with it and it's central to every mix yeah. in metal and rock like the snare is the driving force for the beat, and it's it's a very dynamic drum. Just hitting it in different spots on the drum, you're going to get different tones. Uh, the way the snare interacts, you can actually really choke the snare if you just you know, bury your stick in it versus letting it breathe mm-hmm. um, with the rebound. It, 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 completely different for the kick, too. Like the kick and rock and metal, most engineers want to just control it yeah. so that it's not wobbling and it's really holding down the low end and kind of melding with the bass really well. So again, that's not a, a drum where you need to spend way too much time programming all the perfect human articulation. I think you can – that's probably the one drum you can just be like, eh. It's all 120. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then like maybe if you have a lot of double hits, sometimes bringing back that second hit yep. just to make it sound a little bit more human and not have it overloading so that you need like a limiter to <laughs> calm it down is nice. Yeah. But to me, it's you got to spend a lot of time with the snare and the, and the hi-hat. The hi-hat too, because there's so much room for expression with the hi-hat too, because you know anytime you open up a, a, a drum sampler – You'll have a fully open hi-hat. You'll have a mostly open hi-hat, a slightly closed, a stomp-down hi-hat. You got the bead and the shaft of the stick hitting on all of those, too. So, yep. like, right there, you have, what, eight different articulations that you can use. We had, You can use the shaft, open, somewhat open, 
closed but not tight and then tightly closed and then you can do all four of those again with the bead and all of those will give you way different articulations and if you actually really watch a drummer like spend time just watching how a drummer plays the hi-hat um actually a really great video that every programmer should watch is on drumeo todd uh schlucker schuckerman the drummer for sticks. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he he actually did a really cool video, and it was for drummers to learn how to use the hi-hat better as drummers. Mm. But I think programmers should watch this video. Again, it was on Drumio. I'm sure you could find it, just uh, his hi-hat technique. And he has this really great video about how – when you play the hi-hat, especially for fast sections, it's kind of more about a sawing motion than it is like an up and down motion. Right. Drummers kind of use a sawing motion where they kind of stab the hi-hat with the bead and then they kind of, as the stick is coming back, hit it with the hit it on the edge with the shaft. So you get this and you almost kind of get this a bit of a gallop sound, but it's in straight sixteenths or eights or whatever you're doing. But just the the sound of it almost gives it kind of like a an up and down kind of momentum. And little things like that really make your programming come alive and sound real. Totally. When I realized I could do that with programming, that's when my programming took a huge jump. Like I started really paying attention to how I was articulating uh, hi-hat and how I was programming hi-hat. And that's when I noticed my drum programming took a huge jump up because I was just paying attention to these micro articulations that aren't really hard to basically. I mean, all you have to do is – Program in eighth notes for four measures, let's say, on the bead on the closed hi-hat, and then just take every other uh, hit, select them, and then just move them down so that one is – so that the, if you will, the downbeat – or the main uh, kind of thrusting beat is on the shaft and then the uh, the back beat or the you know in between uh, hit is on the beat and it, just that little motion of going back and forth will make it sound more real it'll also give it a little bit more momentum like just, that's just how good drummers drum yeah. basically yeah. and so i and so this really kind of comes back to too is watch drummers like watch videos of drummers doing playthroughs and stuff like that and really watch how they hit all the all the instruments and stuff like that. Another one with snare too is that like I don't think I ever have a if if I have two snare hits that are you know um, one after another really quickly. Yeah. The second one is always less because most drummers are right handed and mm. so the right hand will always hit just a little bit harder than the left and most drummers lead with their right hand too. So there's a little bit of a phrasing usually where the first hit is hard on the right hand. Yeah. And then the left hand will be a little quieter. And then if they keep going, both hands will kind of get a little quieter. And then as they get louder, the right hand will tend to be still a little bit louder than the left hand right. and kind of lead the crescendo. So you'll hear like a and that left hand will just kind of hang back just ever so slightly. And if you can program that right, if you can spend the time to figure out how that's programmed – Oh man, your drums are not going to be distinguishable between real drums, totally. especially if everyone else is sampling. Like, and that's the thing to me too is like if you can get really good at programming drums, oh, you can save yourself so much time. Yeah. And more importantly, as a drummer, you can make sure it was done correctly. And the thing too is is these are things that unless you are a drummer and you sit behind a kit and you play, you're not going to catch half of this anyway. I've recorded or care so much. Like, <laughs> true, exactly. I've recorded tons of drums, tons of drummers, and there's still stuff that I'm like, oh yeah, right. I forgot. I wouldn't have thought about that because I'm not the one literally sitting behind the kit. I've gone through them. I've edited a ton more drums than you know I care to admit, and it's it's the, still the same thing. Even then, I still always learn new things. But oh right, okay, this is what this person does. 
or because that's the other thing too. Everybody has their own style. Some drummers do mm-hmm. literally hit the hi hat very straight on, very no gallop motion, no nothing. Others are like so heavy into that and love the half sloshiness and everybody's mm-hmm. different. So mm-hmm. every drummer is going to play differently. So as a drummer, if you're programming, figure out what you like about your drumming and what you like to hear. And you're going to be able to program that better than anybody else is going to be able to either program it or sample or place it or whatever. And if you are not a drummer, find the nice, the typical things by watching drum videos and stuff that make up making a more real sounding kit, uh, just in general, cause there's some general things that people do. Um, and that will add so much to your programming, even if you aren't a drummer and can't do like, you know, the thing that a drummer <laughs> would be able to do. <laughs> um, but it's still, it goes a long way than the, than most people who just literally drop the MIDI notes on. They're all the same mm-hmm. velocity. They're all the same, uh, you know, one version of the hi-hat, whether it's open or closed and that's about it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, that's as far as they go. So that's going to come out as well if you play the actual drums in using an e-kit regardless of how mm-hmm. the quality of the e-kit it will pick up some of that stuff just by the nature of you playing it and that can be very helpful if you are a drummer um to to start there because you're halfway there instead of having to manipulate every other note to get these things out <laughs> of the 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 drum program it's already kind of half in there because you played it right and along with that too because i know that like e-kits aren't cheap like yeah you can you, you can get like cheaper ones for mm. like around 400 bucks maybe um but not everyone has you know like an extra 400 bucks just lying around to do something like this too um one thing i would advise if you if you are a drummer trying to program or even if you're not a drummer but you're at least familiar with the mechanics of drumming yeah. is program something in and then just sort of air drum it like listen back to it and air drum it and really just like watch your wrist watch watch how you mm. air drum back to it like if you're not if you're like me and you use a lot of molar strokes then like then yeah those second hits are always going to be slightly quieter so that i can get more drive out of the main hits so like watch your wrist watch the way you play watch the way you move around the kit and just see like okay where is there a little bit less strength as I go around and should, and can I, and do I want to program that in too? Because maybe that's not always the case. Like I said, spend more time on like the snare and the hi-hat, making sure those are super, super articulate and super realistic. But for like toms, I don't, I don't over program toms for the most part, because for me, especially I want Tom fills to sound huge and really pop out of the mix. So I tend to, crank the velocity on them a little bit and i don't add as much uh realism to that because i want those toms to just really like pop Mm -hmm. right out of the speaker so there's a little bit of engineering that goes into it as well yeah also if you don't have that money lying around to to get an e-kit you can also rent them for a couple bucks a day or a week or a month if you're in the midst of making something um you know it's it maybe that's well worth the 35 bucks for the week or the month or whatever it is to have that, mm-hmm. uh, if that's what you're working on, I agree with you in the uh, in the way of programming and putting time into the snare and the hat is the most important. Toms, if it's a tom beat, put time into that, like the the riding True, the tom, like a floor tom beat. Yeah, yeah, but big 
when you're just doing kind of fills, they typically are going to be popping out of the mix anyway. That's the point. So you can kind of have some nice fun with that when you're programming it mm -hmm. and not have to uh, be contained by realism, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, and then kick, I will say that a lot of times in many uh, genres of modern music and people don't even realize it um, half the time either is the kick drum kind of has one sound unless it's soft or it's loud <laughs> and besides mm -hmm. that it is what it is and so you don't have to get too in depth on that one because it just kind of is it's a kick it's a thump it that's the point and that's really all that yeah. there is to it even when you record a real drum kit they don't come the kicks just don't come across with a lot of life in them to begin with every now and then like fast like if i get a really fast like kick run yes double kick run sometimes i'll bring down the left like beater if you will or like whatever would be the left beater sometimes i'll bring it down just like a hair yep. just because then it's not like quite so aggressive and not quite so machine gunny um, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just to make it just to give the samples a little bit of breathing room yep. almost to kind of work around each other um but even then like most of the time too like a lot of metal that's the sound you're going for is yep. you want that sort of machine gun kick that's just like really in your face and like rumbling your speakers anyway so like it it depends on the genre it depends on the genre um, and the part for sure we're generalizing a lot because you have to take any of this and apply it to your uh, genre and your parts and the song again it's it, it's it all depends it's all relative, it all, it's all relative. <laughs> now one one thing too uh, to add to that is with the kick uh, or the snare and the hi-hat and even toms frankly um, there is a difference when you program it and spend the time to program it and then throw it through a compressor versus just going oh, I'm just going to program it with the compression, in air quotes, on already by not programming mm -hmm. a bunch of velocities. Mm -hmm. It Because of, like I said, there's diff literally it triggers different types of samples depending on how loud or quiet it is. Uh, in the velocity aspect of the programming, you're going to True. get a different tone out of the snare, which then gets fed into a, 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 a compressor, which is going to level it out, sure, but it's still going to have a different tonal quality uh, so that mm -hmm. is an important thing to note because I know some people just go, oh, I'm going to compress it anyway. I'll just throw it at one velocity. And that's, yes, I mean, in principle, I guess you could, you, I get where you're coming from, <laughs> but it that's what cheapens the programming of the drums. If you're doing stuff like mm -hmm. that, uh, you're, you're not thinking about the compression. You're just thinking about the actual playing of it Uh from the drummer's perspective themselves let an engineer compress the drums and make them do what they need to do in the mix you focus on programming drums like a drummer would play them yep. and then honestly it's probably going to make it easier for the mix engineer because then they're dealing with drums that are like a human being is playing them exactly uh like how they've been trained to do <laughs> surprise surprise, surprise, surprise. Um, so, so their moves and their kind of style is going to fit better and it's going to just make more sense because they're kind of getting some something that's a lot of, but more natural in, in, in execution. And so all of their regular chains and their regular processing is going to make more sense that exactly. way. Exactly. Speaking of, of more natural, another thing that I think a lot of people don't think about with programming drums, and this is kind of the next point here, is timing. Now, when you think of program drums, you think of just <laughs> gridded. It's perfect, hit cue, and sure. and it's perfectly in line, and this is great. And I love that button. That's exactly what everybody wants with real drums anyway, <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, yes, 
but here's the the uh the the caveat to that is that even real drums even when they're gridded they're not perfect because you can only no. grid but you know the thing about a drummer if they hit a kick and a snare and a crash all at once that's like the big you know downbeat whatever they're not going to be literally the exact same timing we're human it's going to be milliseconds late or early or whatever, not maybe not even milliseconds, but slightly different timing, slight, very slight, but it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. It literally can't be exact. So that is still baked into the timing of the drums. So when I time that hit, I'm going to pick the kick drum and put that on the grid I can't make the snare that is, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> ever so slightly, ever ahead. so slightly, a millisecond ahead. I can't put that also on the grid, and the crash also on the grid. I can't do that. It doesn't work with the physics of recording multi-track drums. It just doesn't work. So the <laughs> natural uh, sound that you get has this slight flamming, so to speak. It's not flamming as two, you know, uh, drumsticks on a snare drum, but it's flamming in terms of the cymbal, the snare, and the kick are all slightly off time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important to note is when you program drums, you can also kind of tell when people just literally hit Q and all all of those slight flams are no longer slight flams. They are all exactly perfect. And one or two of mm-hmm. them, or you know, half of them even being that way is probably fine. No one's going to notice. But if literally every hit in the drums is exact uh, on time with each other, <laughs> you're going to mm-hmm. start to notice that. It's just the reality. I mean, one of the ways uh, we drummers are taught in terms of how to make something sound bigger when we don't have something bigger is to use a flam. Mm. So like when I want like a big, like war drum sound and all I have is a 16 inch floor Tom, what I do is I just put a really tight flam when right. I, when I go to, to throw the hit and it makes it sound bigger. It makes it sound like two drums are hitting at the same time as opposed to just one. And that's something a program drum wouldn't capture necessarily. Right. Um, so that's one thing I do in my programming is actually when I, when I do a double stop on like the rack Tom and the floor Tom and I hit them at the same time, I usually take the, the rack Tom and I move it ahead. Like normally speaking, when I do a, like a double stop flam, mm. my right hand is the main note and I like to sneak in with my left hand just because my right hand tends to be a little bit more accurate. I don't know if that's correct, but that just, I I just noticed in my style, that just tends to be how I tend to play is I usually, if I want to throw a big flam, I try to make my right hand be the downbeat and the left hand sneaks in the flam. So I do that on the toms all the time with my programming and it makes the tom double hits sound a lot bigger right? because they're not played 100% in sync. And I mean, like, think about it this way. If you had a choir of like 10 people just singing in a room with a single microphone, it's going to sound like a big ass choir, yeah. right? Especially in like double track them again and just let them hear themselves back. Now you got 20 people singing into two mics. Like, yeah, that's going to sound huge. But if you took 20 people individually, all had them sing into their own mic and then you edit them all together using something like uh, vocal align, they wouldn't sound like a big choir anymore. It would sound like one person with like a really big voice maybe, or yeah. a really like complex voice. And that's the problem with over editing sometimes is like, I like editing. I think editing is cool and editing works, but if you over edit everything, so it's 100% all slid in and on the grid, yep. you, you kind of lose some of that 
bigness. I'm not sure if that's a word, but you, you know, that yeah. big quality that you get when you kind of, you know, those voices are flamming in a little bit of a way. Exactly. You know, they're not all 100% starting and ending or even moving in the exact same way. And that's what makes them sound big because you can, the, the, the human ear is very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. We can tell, um, when things aren't perfect and it makes them sound bigger. Like if you want the sound of 20 war drums, you need 20 people interpreting that downbeat when they're all hitting them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird phenomenon. Like it, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but it, it does at the same time. It, it does in the sense that uh, I forget what the number is. I, I don't remember exactly, but our ears can't discern uh, exactly something that is delayed from something else by it's like two milliseconds or something like that. Huh. We actually can't tell. We can tell that it's del- that something's different, but we can't uh-huh. actually discern the second delay. And you can go do this for yourself. If you put a vocal de- a delay on a vocal and you start mm-hmm. out at zero, so it's not delayed at all, <laughs> you're going to just mm-hmm. hear the vocal. As you s- start to give it a little bit of delay and a little bit of delay and a little bit of delay, you're going to... First, you're not going to hear a delay. You're not going to hear a second repeat of the vocal. You're just going to hear a wider, th- bigger, thicker, weirder, chorusy, odd vocal, depending on the tone. And at a mm-hmm. certain point, you will be able to discern an actual second delay. Up to a certain point, our ears literally don't, our brain can't comprehend it and doesn't, can't pick it out that way. So it's very yeah, true cool. where the these slight timing differences on let's say the the tom or the taiko drum or the or the flam on the on the two toms anything like that we don't pick mm-hmm. it up as a as a different timing but we can hear the fact that it's bigger and bigger and yeah. something cuz it's we can hear that wideness in the sound in, in so to speak in the timing but we can't actually pick it up that it's late. That's really cool. I'm probably going to do that after this. Um, but yeah, I mean, like in that regard too, like if I'm doing any kind of like uh, Tom double stop or a flam, we're not talking like musically a lot of space no. between these things. I'm talking like a tight flam or a tight double stop is like the left hand is a 64th note ahead Max, of maximum, the yeah. like. Like, like, yeah, maybe a 32nd if you really want like a loose sounding flam, depending on your BPM, obviously, um, like a 200, obviously that's going to be different than a hundred BPM. 80 BPM, Um, a 32nd note might, it's going to sound like a 32nd note. (laughs) It's not good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we're, we're talking minuscule amounts, but they make a huge difference and it's a great little trick to just kind of make things sound a little bit bigger. Um, because I know I've run into that too. It's like, Oh, why don't these toms sound huge? And then I'll just add 14 more like tom samples (laughs) layered on top of it. They're all one shots. I'm like, Oh, it's bigger now. Right. And it's like, no, because they're all perfectly aligned. So some of their frequencies are actually like canceling each other out. Like th- there's more perceived volume, sure, but it's not actually bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a lot farther by just kind of doing a very tight little flam on two toms than you can layering 16 floor tom samples perfectly on top of each exactly. other. So yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting uh, little trick that I, I don't hear very often too. I've watched a lot of videos on programming and stuff like that. This is probably the tip that I'm most unaware of in any, or that I haven't seen the most yeah. out of anyone else's advice is like, use double stops and use flams to your advantage. They can go a long, long totally. way to making stuff sound cool. No, I agree. And and I I guess we should also say this isn't to say that every single snare hit should now be a double stop. Uh don't go don't do that. No. Um but <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you, you can't you can't go that far. Um, but what kind of to apply that to your every everyday programming, the typical or every most of your programming is to utilize that in terms of think about the real kit when the when something mm-hmm. like the kick and snare are happening at the same time on a four on the floor beat or whatever it is, don't literally put the two MIDI notes exactly on the grid. You can move the snare slightly behind or slightly ahead. And again, like we said, minuscule. So you don't, you don't mm-hmm. even notice that it's different, but it is not the exact same. And that'll start making things sound bigger and more natural because that's literally, mm-hmm. that's how it works. Um, and just adding some of that stuff in there and adding some of those things with your hi-hat uh where the hi-hat is because the hi-hat's one of those things just kind of keeps going over top of kick snare toms every like all sorts of stuff moving that slightly off uh you know maybe you put the kick all is always on the grid but the snare you kind of on some things you start moving it and maybe not quite on the grid when it's hitting with the kick and then when it's with Mm -hmm. some other stuff it's it's more in terms of when a bunch of stuff's hitting together that's when you start moving them slightly off from each other it's like panning like if everything is straight up the middle it's going to sound a little jumbled, yes. but that's why we use panning is because we move things kind of left to right, create a more stereo image. But it also gives a little bit of space to everything yep. to have because now it has its own little space, not only in the EQ image or the EQ frequency, but also in the stereo image yeah. as well. It's the same like basic principle, but just a lot smaller and a lot, a lot more subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because you're not going to move things quite as naturally. And I guess while we're on the subject, too, of like grid gridding versus not like sometimes rhythmically, too, it just won't work on the grid. Mm. Um, I have a song that's on my new EP that ends with like uh, like a big dramatic triplet. Yep. And I had it all perfectly on the grid. Like I, I mapped it out and it just didn't sound right. I don't know what it was yeah. like. It just like it the, the triplet just wasn't landing the way it should it sounded wrong to my ears even though like i checked the grid a thousand times i was like no this is this is right this is how it's supposed to be (laughs) this is right but sometimes that happens too is like sometimes drums just can't live perfectly on the grid they're going to sound a little unnatural and every now and then you can just pick your moments of like it's probably not going to be the chorus beat right but there might be a fill here or there that just sounds a little bit more natural just nudged a little off the grid or just like organically kind of played in in some yeah. way and I, I guess that that the the point and the lesson there is to not be fooled by looking at the thing going but it's perfect mm. it, but it, does it how does it sound at the end of the day at the, no but it's perfect. <laughs> at the end of the day and i think a good way to kind of wrap up literally this whole thing is how does it sound using all these techniques you don't have to use them everywhere you don't have to use them on every hit you don't have to but do it where it sounds right and where you need it to sound right. And if it sounds mechanical, if it sounds programmed, <laughs> like wrongly programmed, like machine guns uh, kind of styled snare rolls and stuff like that, that's when you start using these things. If they sound wrong, start adding this stuff in. There's lots of programmed drums that can get away with just the same velocity, no fine tuning on the big choruses. That's just kick snare and a crash symbol. And you can get away with it. Mm -hmm. Then fine. That's great. If that, if it works, it works. You don't have to go over and above. Uh, if it's just like, yeah, that sounds right. And if you look at it and go, Oh, it's all over the place. Velocity wise. Well, great. Does it work? Great. Or if you play it in and it's all one velocity, but because you're that good, uh, but it sounds right. Great. <laughs> then leave it. You don't have to like over manipulate because of that. 
And just keep mm-hmm. that in mind. If it sounds right, then go go with it. it go is with right. it because that's that's the most important part. Is how does it sound in the song and in the drum part that you're trying to perceive and in the genre that you're in and every other <laughs> uh, <laughs> disclaimer that we can add to this. Um, how does it sound, really? <laughs> Chuck's <laughs> Chuck's end of episode hot take. Music is supposed to be listened to, so if it so if you listen to it and it sounds good, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> That's <laughs> we just did an hour oh, conversation on all this just to wrap if, up with. If it sounds good, yeah. So um, just so you guys know, music is supposed to be listened to. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it sounds funny, but. Uh, I've been in that same position where you forget that oh, when you're yeah, making no. it and you yeah. forget that and you, you, you need a reminder to go, Oh yeah, well, if it sounds good, then it is good, you know? And mm-hmm. that's how, you know, sometimes you just need that little reminder to go, yeah, no, it's fine that it's not literally all gridded. I don't have to be OCD about it <laughs> and I can allow this to, to swing a bit or to do whatever it needs to do. Because at, you know, if you think about gridding stuff too, it's going to be on a grid in some capacity. It's going to be a 132nd note on a slowdown. Like you can, you can make mm. everything gridded in some capacities. Just do you find the actual technical grid that it's on or do you just do how it feels? <laughs> and that mm-hmm. that's where you should just do what feels good and what sounds good. No, absolutely. And it and it's a good point to make too, because I think a lot of production is done so much in the box mm-hmm. now. And the advent of digital recording and production is that there's a lot more information visually that's given to you. I mean, EQs have analyzers now that tell you like these are the frequencies that you're hearing, yeah. you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of visual feedback now for a modern uh, audio production. So I, it, it, it shouldn't be under, I, I was making a joke, but it really shouldn't be understated that like, it's easy to just let your eyes trick totally. you and in that your eyes are telling you one thing, but you're not spending the time to like close your eyes and really listen yeah. um, you're because you're kind of listening it. with your eyes. Yeah. Cause you're, you're overthinking about it and you're listening with your eyes. Like it's, it's a real thing um, at the end of the day. So, you know, go in, you know, do all your articulation, program your drums, but then like, you know, maybe just close your eyes, sit back for a minute and just listen to the song. Yeah. If it sounds good, it is good. Go with it. Don't worry about whether, you know, this or that it's probably all going to get bounced out into stems anyway. So you'll you'll bake it in it's okay i think that is a great place to end i don't really have anything else to add to that uh and i think there's a lot of great tips in here for learning to program drums and just where to start looking to program drums and what to look for um everybody's going to find their own unique style just like every drummer finds their own unique style in their drumming and it it doesn't matter how slight or how large those different things are that make your unique drumming your drumming uh you'll find what works for you uh and what doesn't work for you what makes sense what you like the sound of um and and just go with it and and enjoy the process and finding that the thing that you like (laughs) and uh and and learning how to do this because it does it really does uh, open up a whole other world of possibilities and especially for drummers so if you haven't listened to the other episode now that we're finishing this episode go check out the previous episode with malcolm coddle on that exact subject <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we talk at length about that so 
If you haven't listened to that, now's your chance to go listen to that one. Thank you, Malcolm, for being on the podcast. That is it for this episode. If you haven't subscribed already on YouTube, you can go check out the video version of this podcast over there. Otherwise, subscribe uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you can get all the episodes delivered right to you with uh, some ranting and raving and some nice practical tips. Um, <laughs> like to shake we it up here a good balance here. Yeah. <laughs> we offer a good balance here. In exactly. We do what we can. But uh, that is it. I will see you in the next episode. Until then, always be creating. Thank you.